from the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. The Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. And Magic Johnson is out there celebrating! Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. A time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe. From way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron. For three for the win! Yes! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan. Yes. It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay, and with me for this episode, a very special guest, a fellow Sports Business Classroom alum, a regular on the program, Scott Levine. Scott, thanks so much for coming on. It's really great to be back. Last time we talked was about the Celtics right before the pandemic started. So, you know, another sign that things are slowly creeping back to normal, hopefully. Yes, um, at least in the NBA, things have gotten back to normal. I don't know about the, how long the uh, the MLB or even NFL is going to succeed with their plans, but uh, the uh, the reason I have you on for this episode is we're going to be doing an Eastern Conference Round 1 preview, most notably focusing in on the 3-6 series in the East between the three-seed Boston Celtics and the six-seed Philadelphia 76ers. We'll talk briefly about uh, the other three series in the, the Eastern Conference at the end and, and give some predictions and, and also talk about some players we're excited to see. But uh, first off, Scott, you know, this, uh, this Boston Celtics team sitting at 48-24, and 24, uh, one of just two teams in the NBA in top five in both offensive and defensive rating. They're fourth in both, second in net rating at plus seven. And, uh, you know, from, from what I've seen in the bubble, most of their players are, are looking pretty good and, and playing well. I think we're going to spend a lot of this podcast talking about the Sixers instead of the Celtics. Yeah. We kind of we know what the Celtics are at this point. They're a team that stays pretty consistent. I think that's because Brad Stevens is, you know, good at making them defend hard every night. And also they have such a redundancy of uh, playmaking, so... You know, if Tatum's not feeling a shot one night, it can be Kemba's night, it can be Hayward's night. Um, there's so many ways for them to just become a good offense, and uh, that's what we've seen. Yeah, and honestly, the, the big question mark for me about Boston heading into the postseason is, you know, they, they have that, that starting lineup with, with Walker, Brown, Tatum, Hayward, and Tice, and then you can bring in the consistently good on defense Marcus Smart off the bench but beyond those six guys that's where you you question a little bit of that bench and is it a matter of it's just that bench is just going to be matchup dependent and you know you might see you might see Ojale and Cantor one night and, and another night you might see Wanamaker and the likes of Robert Williams I think Wanamaker has um carved out, you know, a 15-minute role for this team. Um, he's probably their most consistent player outside of those top six. And then, yeah, it's going to be pretty matchup dependent. Um, I was listening to the low post the other day, and he said, you know, Robert Williams gives this team a higher ceiling than Enos Cantor, but Enos Cantor obviously has a big body and six fouls to give, which will be helpful against Embiid. Ojale, also a very stout defender. I think the answer is to kind of stagger those uh, six guys who you trust more, especially the uh, you know top five, not including Tice, just because you know is, do you really need Jalen Brown's shot creation amidst all the other starters? I think it would be better served along second unit players. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see just how deep Brad Stevens goes with that bench if it's more seven or eight guys or if he extends it to, to nine or ten. But but yeah, it's uh, the bench is is the biggest question mark. But when you have when you have six guys that you can trust and you can play them all thirty five to forty minutes, that that covers most bases for a team. 
Um, speaking of Philadelphia, they are at 43-30, and 12th in offensive rating, 7th in defensive rating, 8th in the NBA in net rating at positive 2.7. And the thing that's fascinating to me about this series is, you know, you talk about that top six for Boston, and there's, there's maybe no one in the league that has as good of a top six as the Celtics. But, uh, you know, Philadelphia entering this series has Joel Embiid, and he's arguably... And uh, I believe he is the best player in this series if he's playing at his peak. But during this bubble, we've continued to see him just have all of these little minor ailments. He, he twisted his ankle on the stanchion in, in one game. Uh, and, and most recently, he's had an issue with his right hand. I believe he hurt it on a, on a, a kind of a fadeaway attempt where Mark Gasol tried to strip him and, and hit his hand. Uh, and so he's been kind of... Uh, Every time you see him running down the floor, he's holding his right hand a little bit. But yeah, it's just a matter of, can this guy get healthy to, to be the player that uh, we all expect him to be? I mean, yeah. Like, any prediction that the Sixers kind of exceed expectations and blow away the Celtics it predicates on Embiid, right? He's kind of a um, ace in the hole. Because as flawed as the Sixers are, I mean, who's guarding him on the Celtics? Right, and you know the uh, the Boston roster. I think in previous years had plenty of guys to do that ta- to to handle that task in the likes of Horford and Aaron Baines, but they lost both of them. And and yeah, as as much as I like Daniel Tice, and he's a solid center, he's he's really overmatched in this matchup. Oh, oh yeah, definitely. Um, the question is whether you know the rest of the team can pick up the slack in other areas because we know that Embiid, if healthy, is going to be a stark advantage for the Sixers. So what's your what's your take on, you know, obviously Ben Simmons with that subluxation of his, uh, of his kneecap and then he had uh, surgery. Uh, so he's going to miss this series. Big blow for the Sixers. Uh, obviously, you know, Ben Simmons, uh, a top 30 player in the NBA. But, uh, you know, in, in my mind, I think there, there's an opportunity here for the Sixers to be perhaps better in the half court, at least, due to the fact that they, uh, they, can, they can throw on a little bit more shooting instead of having Simmons in that dunker spot. Oh, I, I, I agree. And let me just kind of get this out of the way. I am not one of those people who thinks that Philly should even, you know, feel any urgency about trading Simmons or trading Embiid. Um, it's rare that you'll get back a player of that caliber. Um, and Simmons, you know, while he's probably in that, uh, you say top 30, I say more like top 25 to 20 range. Um, there is a path for him to get much higher. We still, you know, he's only, what, 23. And if he obviously figures out the shot, he's made incremental improvements consistently. So I really like him as a player. You know, I am somebody who, there are a few guys I would just choose to start a team with. Um, that being said, it's not the best fit in Philly on offense. We can all agree there. Um, the Embiid-Simmons fit is brought up a lot. I think just like a lot of guys um, benefit from having more space outside of Embiid. I mean, I think Tobias Harris has looked really good the last few games getting to the rim, uh, making decisive uh, moves, and, you know, Josh Richardson can probably get to the hole a little bit more often, though that's not his forte. I think it just allows a lot of the shot creators to have a little bit more breathing room. Absolutely. And, you know, Ben Simmons, I think, is going to be on a lot of uh, all-defensive team ballots. Uh, but, uh, you know, I I also question how, uh, you know, when this, when this Philadelphia roster was constructed... There was talks that yeah, this team is just going to be absolutely dynamite on the defensive end. You know, they they replaced a uh, a weak link in JJ Redick with Josh Richardson. They basically replaced Butler with Horford. Uh, you know, Simmons and Embiid already terrific defenders. Um, you know, Tobias Harris. Uh, you know, is 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 an average defender, but he's got size and he tries. Um, the 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 question. Now is, you know, are the Sixers able to ramp up and be an elite defensive team in a best-of-seven series where they can dial up and, and focus on 
player tendencies and sets and all those things and be kind of the dominant defense we saw in last season's playoffs against the Raptors. Do you think they can they can ramp up and, and really make it difficult on the Celtics offense? I, I, I don't really. I don't think, you know, they'll be kind of an otherworldly defense. They finished sixth in defense this year, um, according to Cleaning the Glass, which uh, eliminates garbage time. And their unit with, like, um, so I have a bully sticker on my laptop. It's from Cookies Hoops, um, just a Twitter account, and it has, like, Josh Richardson, Harris, Simmons, Horford, and Embiid um, as Simpsons bullies. And uh, that defense was as advertised, right? Um, I mean, I have the uh, lineup data right here. And the unit with uh, those five had a defensive rating of 97.3. And they played 518 possessions together. Um, The problem was that their offensive rating was... 106.4, 106.4, which is, you know, if not if not bottom in the league, pretty close to it. I know you're not supposed to compare lineups to overall team stats, but if your starting lineup is having that much trouble on offense, it does not bode well. We all know that the Simmons-Horford and Pete trio struggled on offense, so I'm not really breaking any news there. But I think the problem is they weren't viable enough to really unlock that potential of that defense, right? Because you have to kind of stagger um, Horford and Embiid or Horford and Simmons. You know, you can't play all three of them at the same time. So we never really saw the defense that we all hoped for. Yeah, I, I'm a little more optimistic on the Sixers being able to to uh, be really good on the defensive end. In part because, you know, you're. I think they're going to, and, and I hope at least, that Brett Brown replaces a lot of Simmons minutes with Matisse Thibel, who is a terrific defensive player in his own right, off the bench. And with uh, with Simmons not playing at all, I think you can play more heavy minutes with Horford and Embiid together. And I think when, when those two have been on the floor, they've been very good defensively. Um, and, and they can still just throw a ton of size at, uh, at teams. You know, as, you know, even Shake Milton is 6'5", but I think he's got like a 7'1 wingspan. Uh, the, the guys they bring off the bench in the likes of Alec Burks, Furkan Korkmaz, uh, and, and Thibel, you know, those guys at least have, have pretty good size. So I, I'm a little bit more worried about the offensive end of the floor without a Jimmy Butler, without a J.J. Redick to create offense to get to the free throw line. This, this team seems so reliant now on the likes of, uh, of Joel Embiid and, and Tobias Harris, and, and especially as far as Harris is concerned, I don't really trust him. You know, in the bubble, he's shooting 36% from the mid-range. He's taken 50 attempts from there. He still just seems to uh, like those inefficient shots a little bit too much for my liking. Oh, I definitely understand, you know, the concerns of, you know, relying that heavily on Tobias Harris in a playoff series. Um, I still like his offensive output because, you know, even though he's missing a lot of those mid-range shots, he's drawing attention. Uh, and he's able to make, you know, pretty standard passes to get his teammates open. So some of those inefficient looks are leading to efficient looks. Um, you know, they could just decide to allow him, say, you know, take as much floaters and mid-rangers as you like, but we've also seen him punish teams from there. So maybe even though he's been missing a lot of them, Celtics still don't feel comfortable given his track record from that range. Um, I don't know. I think it kind of goes hand-in-hand where it's like, the Sixers need to be a very, very good defense because of their offensive shortcomings, and we know those offensive shortcomings. Um, so I'm kind of just equally concerned about both. Yeah, and you know, speaking to the Sixers' offense, and, and maybe uh, a little bit of uh, a reason for optimism is they've had a lot of guys shooting the ball well from from the outside. Korkmaz in the bubble at 44 percent, Alec Burke shooting 59 percent from downtown, Richardson at 43. Harris at 41, Al Horford's hit 10 of 19 in his seven games. So there is a there is a theoretical version of this team where Joel Embiid is just absolutely unstoppable on the block and the, the Celtics have to send double teams and they swing it around and knock down enough outside shots to, to produce a good offensive rating. Uh, but but again, even going back to last year's postseason with Embiid, it seemed like in that Raptors series, 
he he was dealing with the flu at one point. He was dealing with some knee issues, and he really played amazing in that game three. But the rest of the series was was kind of hit or miss. And they're going to need if if the Sixers are going to make this competitive and win this, they're going to need an an A A plus version of Embiid night in and night out. I want to go quickly back to their defense. Um, yeah. Just because I want to do one more point about Ben Simmons. I agree that you can kind of put Dybul into that Ben Simmons spot over the course of like a few games and have a you know maybe not as good but a pretty similar result. Um, I do think this is a specific matchup where Ben Simmons' absence will really be noticeable. Um, you look at Kemba Walker, Jason Tatum, Gordon Hayward, you know, even Jalen Brown. You can't just put any schlub on him. Um, ben Simmons, you'd probably put him on Tatum. Uh, you'd probably put Dybul on Kemba Walker. I thought he did a great job on Kemba um, to start this season in their opening game. You know, you could also put Josh Richardson there, but I, I do think Thibault's better at that. I think he's just a better defender in general. I think Josh, while he competes on ball, um, is prone to getting back cut. Um, is a little bit of a ball watcher. And all of a sudden, you have to probably put him on Kemba because you'd, you need Thibault to take Tatum. And then, you know, who do you put on Gordon Hayward? Is Al Horford going to play with Embiid? Is Al Horford kind of who do you hide Al Horford on? And then if you play Al Horford at the five, you know, if you stagger Embiid and Horford to avoid that matchup with Horford against their four, then you know they lose a huge rim protection element. Um, and their defense is kind of predicated on defenders being able to stay home on shooters. They allowed the fewest corner threes out of any team this year, and what that tells me is, I mean, we kind of saw. In the Raptors series, you know, Ben Simmons just guarded Kawhi straight up. They sent no early doubles, only late ones. And they said, just beat us straight up and try to get to the rim on Embiid. Uh, we're not going to, you know, rotate baseline, weak side, anything like that. We're just going to try to guard you straight up and live with it. And I think Simmons is really important if you want to do that. Um, that would be a great way to handle Tatum, just like stick Simmons on him. Um, and without Embiid on the floor... Al is not quite the rim presence where you can stay home on shooters. Uh, so they had a minus 9.1 net rating with Embiid on the floor. And their defensive rating overall was like a 109 point something. And it was a 110 when Al Horford played the uh, a 5. You know, he's not he's a good defender, but he's not going to be like a rim protector who cleans up everybody's messes. Um, and I think they haven't really had time to create a better system around when Al plays center. Yeah, it's a really good point you make about, you know, not having Simmons in this particular matchup because, yes, al- although, uh, yeah, I think Thibel can fill in reasonably well. It would be much better if they had Thibel and Simmons out there, you know, and, and the Celtics have so many good wings that can all attack that, yeah, they, they can just um, set a screen with, with Thibel's man and, and try to draw a switch and attack the, the weaker defenders out there. So having as many good defenders as possible is is uh, is is important against this Celtics team. And also speaking to the the wing play of Boston, I've been really impressed with how Gordon Hayward has looked. He looks even more athletic than he did back in March. I, I really wanted to mention him. Um, I think I was watching the Magic game where he had 31 points, and he just he had a certain pep in his step. Like he was, there was one play where he just uh, you know brought Vucevic out to the perimeter and just like left him in the dust. And obviously Vucevic is not. OG Ananobi, but just to kind of just burn by a guy so convincingly um, was something you didn't really see often from Gordon Hayward. And if he can do that consistently on switches, uh, or if like they try to stick Horford on him, I mean that's a that's a huge uh, leg up for the Celtics. Yeah, and just looking at uh, at at some of Hayward's stats on cleaning the glass, he. Uh... He, he's actually improved his his foul rate as as basically everyone has done because there's been a lot of fouling in the in Orlando but uh, his has been a significant upgrade prior to the shutdown he uh, he was fouled on just 7.6 percent of his shot attempts but uh, in the bubble he's up that to 14.3 percent so nearly doubled that and uh, his his rebounding percentages are also up on both the offensive and defensive glass and 
and to me, those uh, statistics, the, the ability to, to get to the basket and draw fouls and also to uh, grab those contested rebounds, those are, are decent signs that the athleticism is, is a little bit better. It definitely looks better. Like You can just tell that he spent all of quarantine just getting ripped. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, um, uh, Unlike me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the uh, the uh, the the other player that uh, has been has been interesting to watch because he came into the bubble on a minutes restriction. Speaking of Kemba Walker, you know, despite that minutes limit, I thought even from from the very first game he looked very good, and uh, he is he has shot the ball well. He's shooting seventy five percent in the mid range, forty four percent from three, and uh, I think Brad Stevens and and. The Celtics have done a good job of, of slowly building him up and, and getting him ready to, to play playoff basketball. Yeah, he's really um, thrived in his role um, coming back. I see him as more like a table setter. Um, you know, we've seen Tatum have a few nice games, Hayward have a few nice games, Jalen Brown get out on the action, and Kemba, you know, he's content to just uh, draw two at the perimeter off of a Tice pick and roll and just, you know, give it to the open shooter. Um, if they have the shot, they'll take it. But if not, they can start something. You know, you have so many heads to this dragon on the Celtics offense that he doesn't need to be that guy every night. Yeah, um, Jason Tatum has been has been terrific after a terrible uh, opening performance against the Bucks. Exactly. He's been. <laughs> yeah, I was really worried because, like, you know, obviously you're expecting some regression from the February and March that Tatum had, and when it was the way it was against the Bucks. You're like, no, it can't be this bad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I was I was concerned too because you know even even the, at the start of the 2019-20 season, you know the first few months he was decent, but I think he was sub All Star level. It wasn't until uh, the the beginning of the new year that he he really took off. So I was I was a little concerned that maybe he's just one of these guys that's a bit of a slow starter. Um, I mentioned that in a pod I just did with uh, Frankie Neifinger speaking to the, the Western Conference first round. I'm, I'm very concerned about Eric Gordon on the Houston Rockets because he's always been a notoriously slow starter, especially with his ability to make jump shots. Uh, but, but yeah, ever since that, uh, that horrible first game against the Bucks, Jason Tatum has been great. Uh, the, you, you mentioned earlier, you know, who, who do the Sixers put Horford on? You know, because he's going to be having to guard a wing, probably, especially in those those first couple of minutes to start the first and third quarters, and and uh, yeah, it's it's a tough question, especially with that starting lineup. There's not a really good answer. I will say when the when the Celtics bring on some of their bench guys, you know, I think uh, if if the Sixers are playing two bigs at that point, they can throw him on Marcus Smart, who. Uh, for the season, is shooting 35%, but uh, he's a guy that still, to me, would, would need to prove it, prove that uh, he can make those shots in a playoff situation, and he, he's shooting just 32% so far in Orlando. And the thing is, you kind of don't have to uh, tell him twice to shoot it, so um, I know, you know we've seen some of the best defenses in the league. Uh, Milwaukee does this, Toronto does this. Brooklyn does this, uh, surprisingly enough, where they really kind of coax mediocre to, you know, decent shooters into threes, especially above the break. Because as much as that can hurt you, it's really, you know, probably the best bet against the Celtics who have so many weapons. Absolutely. Um, speaking to, to Philly, the, the other thing about their offense, you know, if their offense is really going to click, it's going to be important for them to be able to, to put up some points when Embiid is on the bench, and uh, they've got some options there. Of course, Alec Burks, I think, has played reasonably well, but also, you know, the the big, uh, what got a lot of people excited prior to Simmons's injury and, and prior to this restart was the idea of, okay, shake Milton at the one because he's the guy that can, can hit these off-the-dribble threes, which can can unlock a lot of things for this offense. Uh, what have been your thoughts on on Milton, and, and is he kind of a perhaps an X factor in this series? It's really hard for me to pinpoint one X factor. I feel like Sixers are the team of like ten different X factors. <laughs> yeah. can all, you know, if they all hit like most of them did against the Raptors, they're a scary team. But when you have ten X factors. 
Rancher's floor is also incredibly low. Um, he's definitely one of them, right? Um, it's not so much that he's like this special point guard player. It's that they don't really have that guy otherwise um, who can, you know, consistently make the right pass, which is not Josh Richardson's forte. Um, you know, hit off the dribble shots, which is not Howell Neto's forte. Uh, you know, he's a kind of a combination of every little facet that they could use to kind of grease the wheels of that starting lineup. Um, he was going to have his ups and downs. I don't know if uh, how much of <laughs> this is all just like desperation to pin your hopes to Shake Millen. I think he's <laughs> yeah. a fine player, but I wouldn't necessarily be that confident. Um, it's, you know, he's just started playing NBA minutes before the, the pandemic. Right. And I don't know, like, he could be pretty good, but I think he'll just be decent. And, uh, I mean, without Simmons, you, know, you, you worry less less about having a guy who can, like, grease the wheels of the offense. I think their offense has looked plenty, plenty fine because I think uh, Tobias and Josh look better. Um, they're guys who really kind of need, def- like I said, an open floor to attack. So, Shake becomes less of a concern for me now. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I have in my notes here to ask about the coaching situation, but this seems like kind of an obvious thing. Although I will say, I, I think uh, Brett Brown is, is underrated by a lot of people. And then I actually liked how he, he coached in that series against the Raptors last season. Uh, but uh, in a, in a matchup with, uh, with Brad Stevens, would you give the edge to, uh, to the Celtics? I'd say, I'd say you have to, I mean, in my inner, in my inner coach tier list, I would put Brad Stevens at an A tier and Brett Brown at a B tier. Yeah. Um, so not like probably as big of a difference as everyone says. Like, um, you know, I think Brad is probably borderline top five. I think there's a couple of guys who have maybe elevated past them. If you're looking at, you know, coaching performances, Nick Nurse comes to mind. But it's not a huge difference. I mean, I think Brad will outcoach him. He kind of did in 2018. Uh, but it's not like I'm counting the. Sixers out just because Brent Brown's their coach. I, I don't necessarily think he'll hamstring them too badly. Right. Um, yeah, and he's he's got a lot of decisions to make. It'll be interesting to see if the likes of uh, of Mike Scott is going to make the playoff rotation. I probably would uh, would advise him not to <laughs> to play Mike Scott just because of his defensive issues. But um, you know, maybe stick more with a, an eight man rotation with 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 just uh, Burks. Thibel and and Korkmaz coming off the bench, but yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. I, I think both coaches might end up resorting to seven or eight man rotations given the the lack of talent on on the bench units. But uh, the uh, the other thing I, I like to discuss with these uh, with these playoff series previews is uh, to to discuss some some adjustments that these coaches could make in a dire situation. Say the Celtics get down 0-2 in this series and Bede is just dominating. Uh, what are some, uh, what are some things that, uh, that Brad Stevens could do to try to mix things up and, and get the, the Celtics back into the, into the series? You know, that's a good question. And at that point, um, because I mean, the obvious answer is like, you know, bring in, like a defensive guy like Semi Ojale to um, kind of front the post and, or something like that. I, I don't even know um, <laughs> because I like Semi Ojale. I think you know he's an NBA player. Um, especially, I think he's actually a, you know decent to good rotation player. If he, especially if he gets that three ball to fall. Um, to me, it's just kind of Pavlov from a Pavlovian sense. Seeing Semi-Ojale on the court is kind of like waving a white flag. Um, <laughs> because, you know, I, I just see him on the court all the time when Giannis is steamrolling us and we're down 20 and we're just hoping that Semi can get in his way a little bit better than whoever else is on the team. Um, we're obviously sacrificing a ton on offense. Like you said, that's kind of a good hiding spot for Al Horford to play Semi-Ojale, so it takes our biggest advantage away. Um, I think we're fucked, honestly. And you can bleep that out. And <laughs> you go down 2-0, and Embiid is just a monster. Yeah, um, that that is the that is the concern again. That uh, and and that's where I think maybe 
maybe Cantor can actually be uh, be helpful to them because you know despite the fact that his he's not a good defensive player that's mostly because of his lack of foot speed you know his his uh, you know inability to to move laterally and stay in front of ball handlers on the perimeter you know that's why against uh, when he was on the the Blazers against against the Warriors he had no chance against the likes of Steph Curry but in a matchup where he just has to be big and strong and, and play post-defense, you know, that might be, uh, um, if there is a strength in Enos Cantor's defensive game, that might be it. Yeah, I mean, it definitely helps to have him out there. Um, I, I kind of wonder, like, does it matter who's on Embiid unless it's, like, in the 90th percentile of post-defense? And Cantor is definitely better than Tice, but... And maybe he's, you know, better enough for it to make a difference, but I'm not sure. I think he's more just used, like I said, a big body and six fouls. Right. Um, well, yeah, speaking to the to the other end of the spectrum, which this is probably more likely that Philadelphia gets down 0-2 in this series. Uh, the I, I don't really know too many strategic things that, uh, that Brett Brown can do. Obviously, one of the things can be you know, because Al Horford is going to have to be guarding a wing, you can you can put him on. You can try to put him on whoever is struggling to shoot the ball. Uh, but uh, that can change game to game. The thing that I would say is, depending on if they're struggling offensively or defensively, you know, there are. I think Philadelphia can put really good five-man defensive lineups and really good five-man offensive lineups. It's hard to find a, a good two-way lineup for them. Um, but uh, you know, if they're if they're struggling to score, they can. They can play more with with Burks and Corkmaz and those guys. If they're str- if they're struggling to defend, you know they can they can throw in Thibel a little bit more and play uh, you know the likes of Horford and Embiid together a little bit more instead of staggering them as much. So yeah, that that's really all I've got as far as the Sixers. There, it doesn't seem to me to be a, a series where there's going to be too many crazy adjustments taking place. Yeah, I think you you, you talked about Shake Milton potentially being an x-factor i think bible's jump shot is a huge x-factor because we kind of discussed how simmons out kind of you know calls bible to action you know it makes him he goes from being like a defensive luxury to an essential defender for them if they want to stop the celtics offense or at least slow it down um, as a result like you said you know you're going to bring in court or shake for offense over Thibel, but if you can get you know baseline competency as a floor spacer from Matisse. Uh, that goes a long way, obviously. Yeah. If his production in the playoffs has been as good as his uh, as Instagram YouTube videos in the bubble, I uh, have a lot of faith. They've been, they've been really fun. Have you, have you checked those out? Yeah, he's just a really talented person. <laughs> yeah, editing those videos all himself. and uh, Yeah. Yeah, really, really fun stuff. Also, uh, Matisse Thibel's dad is uh, seems to be the most optimistic nice person I think I've ever come across. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, on, on the Skype calls, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so uh, was was there anything else, Scott, about this series that you felt like we needed to, to break down before we get into our predictions? Uh, no, I think I'm good. You know, we talked about how a few of their guys like Harris and Richardson might be better on offense with a spaced floor, but have more to deal with on defense. I think that's pretty much it. All right, so do you want to uh, make your prediction first? You want me to go first? Uh, I'll make my prediction. Okay. I'm going to go uh, Boston in five. Boston in five. Okay. So, yeah, I, uh, I'm i pretty similar to that. I was kind of leaning back and forth between Boston in five or Boston in six. I'm going to give uh, Joel Embiid and the Sixers a little bit of credit, especially Embiid, that he can have a couple of monster games. So I'm going Boston in six. And honestly, like, for some reason, I thought, well, Boston plays better at home, and Sixers play better on the, uh, at home, but that doesn't matter anymore, so maybe the right. line between five and six is, like, nothing, whereas before it's like, oh, Sixers have to stave off elimination in, in the garden, yeah, fat chance, but now I guess it's possible, so I'm going to stick with Boston in five, because I said it, but I definitely see... You know, Sixers having an easier time in that game five situation if they are down three one. Yeah. So um, 
Yeah, and, and I, I probably would lean closer to Celtics in five than I would Celtics in seven. So, so we're we're pretty close there. So let's move on to the to the next series, which is the uh, one that I'm I'm pretty excited about, which is the uh, four five matchup in the Eastern Conference: the Miami Heat versus the Indiana Pacers. And uh, it was it was interesting too because these. Uh, these two foes ended up playing a couple of times in the last few days of the reseeded games, and now they're matched up in a series. And if it goes seven, they'll have played each other nine times in the in the matter of a couple of weeks. Do the Ferris Bueller, me. Yeah. Um, what were some of your takeaways? I don't know if you caught any of the those uh, those couple of games, but one of the things that I noticed was. You know, the obviously the Pacers and, and T.J. Warren have, have been uh, pretty good offensively, uh, but uh, Miami was able to take away something that, that Indiana likes to go to to get Warren going, which is that kind of wide pin down on the left-hand side, and they'll usually have uh, Miles Turner, their center, set the screen, and, and for most teams, you can't switch that with your center because your center will just get beat off the dribble by Warren, but the Miami Heat now uh, playing Bam Adebayo at the five instead of uh, and 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 you know sort of throwing Miles Leonard uh, onto the bench, they can switch that action and, and make that really difficult. Yeah, what makes it easier is that like Miles Turner is not gonna let's say like you know Butler or Jay Crowder is guarding T.J. Warren. Miles Turner is not gonna take them to the post or anything. That's a guy who prefers to, to do his work eighteen feet out. So. That's maybe where Sabonis' absence hurts them. Like, if it was Sabonis on that screen, maybe he could uh, take advantage of a smaller defender. But they don't really have a counter to that right now, the Pacers. Yeah, uh, and, and an action that I saw on the other end of the floor, Miami on the offensive end, that uh, that seemed very effective. And we'll, we'll have to see, you know, Derek Jones Jr., I think, hurt his head in their final game. Uh, and uh, he's going to be reevaluated over the weekend. Hopefully he's okay. But uh, an action that Miami ran that was really successful was uh, with, with the second unit, Goran Dragic running a pick and roll with Jones Jr. Jones Jr. running to the rim and being that lob threat. Uh, Dragic going towards his left hand where he can, he can throw the lob with his left without gathering the basketball and also finish that direction. Uh, and then, you know, you've got Kelly Olynyk spacing at the five, so the paint is pretty wide open. The Heat ran that over and over in that first matchup, I believe, on Wednesday, and and Indiana didn't really have a good answer. I was so impressed with Dragic that game, um, just how he, you know, the, being able to like locate those lobs just perfectly. There was somewhere like it didn't even make sense to me how he was able to get it just so on the money um, at such weird angles. Um, really great game from him. Really great chemistry between those two. I mean, we haven't really like we've always known that like. Obviously, we've seen Derek Jones Jr. in the dunk contest. We know he could fill that role, but for whatever reason, um, we didn't really see it that often. Um, maybe that's because they're playing Bam at the five more, which opens up more minutes for him at the four, and they're playing Myers Leonard less. Um, I don't know, but I wonder if that's going to be a fixture. It definitely will be for stretches. Um, I. Yeah, the Heat are looking really good right now. That's all I can really say. Yeah, the the big differential to me in this series is the fact that, uh, you know, and, and I think it's, again, going to the coaching matchup of Eric Spolstra versus Nate McMillan. You know, McMillan has shown and proven to be a good defensive coach. His team's going to be ready and prepared on the defensive end. But when you talk about these two teams offensively, the Heat very much have a offensive system. And while they have that star in Butler, they have a star in Bam Adebayo, they get a lot of system buckets. They, uh, they create openings for their players just through, uh, you know, just through movement. And, and the Indiana Pacers offense just at times looks real clunky, doesn't know what it's doing out there, and uh, oftentimes it's just very reliant on, on, on players just making plays in isolation and the Heat defense is, is really good, especially when they throw out lineups with the likes of, of Crowder, Iguodala, Butler, and, and Adebayo. I think we're both at the point where, like, we're scared to completely write the Pacers off just because, you know, how, how they played without Oladipo, how they played without Sabonis in the bubble. 
Um, but if they weren't the Pacers, if they were like any other team, I, I wouldn't really have second thoughts about penciling the Heat into the second round. Yeah. Um, the uh, you, you brought up the, the Zach Lowe podcast he did with David Thorpe. And uh, I, I briefly listened to that uh, where they were talking about the, the Heat Pacers series. And one of the things Zach brought up was that uh, those Pacers guards, you know, especially if the Heat put the likes of Jimmy Butler on on uh, TJ Warren, you know, that means that the likes of Malcolm Brogdon, Victor Oladipo, Aaron Holiday, those guys are going to get defended by some of the weaker Heat defenders in Dragic, in uh, Duncan Robinson, and. One of those guards are going to have to have big games each each game of this series if the Pacers are going to want to have a chance. Do you know um, if Kendrick Nunn is joining back? I heard that it's a possibility, um, but th- there's also kind of a question of, you know, Nunn, he, he definitely had a solid rookie season, but is he really a big upgrade over anybody that has been playing for them in the bubble? Probably not overall. It might just be that his specific distribution of skills, you know, a little bit of offense, a little bit of defense, uh, proves rotation-worthy if one of the Pacers' guards is having a great game. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and this is really kind of uh, where they're going to wish they had Josh Richardson. Obviously, it made sense 10 times out of 10 to do the sign-and-trade um, from their end. but And they didn't seem to miss Josh Richardson too bad in the regular season. But, you know, in the playoffs, when just... You know, knowing you can kind of rest easy at each position defensively is a huge luxury. Yeah, and speaking of, uh, you know, one of those heat wings, Duncan Robinson, I'm going to be fascinated to watch him. You know, he's obviously had a terrific season, an unbelievable shooter. Uh, But there is an element, and and we've seen this with not J.J. Redick in the past couple of years, but in his time with the Clippers, there were times where if, if you're focused enough and, and you're just playing all-out denial defense that, that you can take a shooter like a Redick or a Robinson out of the series, out of the game. Uh, do you think that Robinson has developed enough as a, a player with those dribble handoff actions and as a, as a ball handler himself to, to kind of be, uh, be able to, to, to still produce despite uh, extra attention come postseason? I'm not sure, but at the same time, I think it has a huge impact on the Heat's offense if he consistently is being, you know, denied by one of their better defenders, or if he's got drawing two every time he gets a handoff. Like, I know that you know JJ Redick in past series has kind of been a non-factor um, scoring the ball, but he's still just providing a little bit of more verve for their offense just by posing a threat running around screens. Um, so it might, you know, be neutralized, but it's still something they'll have to factor in, which will weaken their defense in other areas. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. Was there anything else about this matchup you wanted to discuss before we, we get to our predictions? Um, next thing I want to say, uh, I think both of our predictions are going to involve the Heat advancing. Yes. Um, <laughs> and everyone's anticipating, like, the Bucks Heat could be a series. And I just want to push back on that before we even get to have that conversation. Um, I hear, like, which guys have had the most success stopping Giannis? Um, you know, and Bam Adebayo's name comes up. No, you don't guard Giannis with one guy. Like, that's never been a thing. Um, Kawhi got heaped with the praise, but you're not really worried about Giannis in the half court, right? Like, obviously he can be good, but that's... You're worried about him in transition, and it really takes a team effort. Like, it takes a village. Um, yeah. Raptors were able to do it when they, especially well when they brought in Ibaka next to Gasol. And Siakam played this well perfectly fine. But you need one of Gasol or Ibaka, sometimes both, at the rim, walling it up. And then, I like to call what Kawhi did. He was kind of a speed bump, right? You know? He kind of made it so that Giannis could develop a full head of steam in transition. Right. Uh, and you need to execute that for a seven-game series. You need to win four times. And if you'll remember, Raptors only won three of those games by six points each. Six points. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it, I know it was kind of convincing how they figured that out and then won four straight, but some of the 
that weren't elevators. Um, and obviously, of them, but like, you want Myers Leonard walling up the middle? Like, Jimmy Butler isn't quite the level of a physical defender that Kawhi is. There's just so much stuff you need. And this is a bigger reason why I kind of picked the Bucks to win the championship. I mean, there's a lot of factors that can be thrown in to the bubble and whether Eric Bledsoe is ready to play or not, but it's just so hard for me to comprehend any team beyond like the very best slowing down Giannis. Yeah. The um it's interesting to think about, yeah, that, that Heat Bucks matchup and and yeah, obviously Autobio is about as good of an option as you can throw on him just one on one, but but you're right that, that Gasol and Siakam even surrounding the likes of, of Kawhi defending uh, the Greek freak one-on-one, those guys were so important just getting their hands up, getting in the way. Uh, it, yeah, it, it takes a unit. It takes a team. And, you know, Miami and, and Eric Spolster, to his credit, I think it's it's good that the Heat have downsized and put Bam at the five. I think in most matchups that, uh, that benefits Miami. That makes them a better basketball team. But perhaps in a series against uh, against Milwaukee, it, it would it would be a situation where they do bring Myers back in just to to uh, to give that extra size, that extra rim pre- uh, presence at the hoop. Even though you know Myers Leonard isn't the greatest of defenders, yeah. uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, he's a big body for sure. He's definitely improved his strength game. Um, yeah, I mean Bam will be great on Giannis in the half court, but. You're already doing something right if, if you've gotten to a situation where you're guarding Giannis in the half court. Exactly. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I, I agree. I think people suggesting that Miami could beat uh, Milwaukee are, uh, are a little optimistic of the Heat's chances, and, and I think it might be a little bit more on the other end. I, I question how Miami is going to score enough against, uh, against the Bucks' vaunted defense. But uh, yeah, let's uh, let's hear who you have in this uh, in this first round matchup between the Heat and Pacers, and in how many games? I'm gonna go five games again for the Heat, with the risk of being redundant. Uh, this is more between four and five for me, whereas the Celtics Sixers is more between five and six. I I agree. I've got Heat in five as well. Uh, I think if Sabonis was there, I would have this as more of a six or seven game series. But his absence, especially. Uh, impacting the Pacers bench, I just don't. I don't think they have enough offensive firepower to, to keep up. It'll it'll definitely be a grind of a series, though, for sure. All right, so uh, let's move on to the the last couple of series, and, and we're not going to talk about these as much, but uh, we'll, we'll we'll just uh, quickly give our predictions and talk about a few players that we're excited to to see and follow. Uh, so Milwaukee, Orlando, the one eight. Is there anybody, uh, Scott, that you're going to be having your eye on in this matchup? I mentioned him a few minutes ago, but Eric Bledsoe. Yep, that's who I had on my notes for Milwaukee as well. Yeah, I think we both think that if Milwaukee wins the championship, they need a pretty good playoff set of Eric Bledsoe, which seems like it's you know not a certainty considering he didn't necessarily have a good one um, against the Raptors last year or the Celtics the year before. So I think he's, you know, gotten incrementally better. Um, he's been shooting the ball okay this season. And uh, it's just a matter of whether we're getting the Eric Bledsoe we saw, um, not just because of his documented playoff struggles, but also because he's recovering from coronavirus. And while we haven't really seen him in his, you know, good Eric Bledsoe thus far, that could also just because be because, you know, Miami's taking, uh, not Miami, Milwaukee's taking it easy with him, and we won't quite know until uh, the bread needs to be buttered uh, where he's at right now. Yeah, and uh, I think it's it's fortunate for the Bucks, given how little he's he's been able to play thus far, that uh, this, uh, and and uh, I'm sure you agree, this is going to be pretty much a walkover a series of a a walkover of a series, especially considering Jonathan Isaac is out for for the Magic, which is a real bummer. Uh, but uh, yeah, Bledsoe, just seeing how he looks athletically, seeing if uh, if some of those playoff jitters that we've seen for the last couple of years still seem present. Uh, but yeah, he's going to be a, a vital piece for this team, and 
And if he doesn't play, I suppose they do have a, an option in George Hill, but uh, Hill is, uh, what, 34 now? I, I don't think playing him 35 minutes is really an option for, for Coach Bud. And they also do have the emergence of uh, Dante DiVincenzo as a really nice kind of sixth man. I would say him and Hill are kind of like the co-sixth men. But, yeah. You know, you'd rather just keep him there, and you'd rather have Bledsoe play his natural role as the starting point guard. That's when the team's at its best. Um, he's really great at pushing in transition. Um, so I, I don't know if you follow Jackson Frank on Twitter, but he had like a really long article about how important Eric Bledsoe is to them in a lot of ways on the step back. Um, you just kind of have to read that to see why they could really use him. I do follow him, but yeah, I haven't checked out that article. I'll have to, I'll get on that as soon as we're done recording here. Uh, but uh, as far as Orlando, the guy I'm interested in, it's also at the point guard position, and that's Markel Foltz. Um, he's uh, uh, he's going to struggle, I think, in this series. You know, Milwaukee is a is a perfectly schemed defense to to uh, really challenge him and his lack of a three point jump shot. He's going to get as many mid-range jumpers as he would like in the series. Uh, and, and, yeah, it'll be fascinating to see if he can hit them at a reasonable rate and if he can if he can help this Orlando offense at least be somewhat competent. Yeah, we both kind of uh, lamented Jonathan Isaac not being on the floor, and that makes Markel Fultz the, the young guy probably both of us are most interested to watch. Um, and it's not like he's like high on my list overall, but I'll still be intrigued. So I've got Bucks and four in this one. How about you? Yeah, might as well. <laughs> All right. So uh, moving on to the last one, it's the 2-7 matchup, the Toronto Raptors versus the Brooklyn Nets. And a couple of guys on Brooklyn I'm interested in. I think the obvious answer for most people would be Karis LeVert. But frankly, you know, I've seen enough in the reseeding games to know what Karis LeVert is and uh, his his fit with, with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant is a little bit questionable. David Thorpe on that Low Post podcast recommended he move to be kind of a sixth man, which I kind of like. But, um, you know, Karis LeVert doesn't really have much to prove to me in this in this playoff series. I think he's, he's a, a solid player. Uh, the the guy for, for Brooklyn that, that does have something to prove is Joe Harris after the horrendous showing he had last year shooting the basketball in that series against Philadelphia. Yeah, and we could just see him be super bothered by Toronto's length. I mean, it's not like Brooklyn has many other guys outside of Karras that they really have to dial into. So they kind of have the luxury to just really uh, uh, really clamp down on Harris. Um, like if OG Ananobi just follows him off ball for a series, like what does he do? I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, and he just it's definitely predicated on having you know, stronger offensive weapons around him that he can uh, take advantage of because he can, you know, find an opening because of the attention the other guys draw. Yeah, like, I'm really not sure what to expect from Harris. This is not the team configuration in which he thrives best in, especially against such a good defense. Um, While I kind of know what Karis LeVert is, I'm still looking forward to watching him the most just because I just love when he has the keys to an offense. I know it's probably not like the most analytically sound basketball. And to his credit, I think he's a better passer than a lot of people might think. Um, he kind of gets the reputation for being a black hole. I think that's because he kind of was that as he was trying to find his place in the Kyrie uh, era. <laughs> yeah. Before that, he played much more like sound basketball and kind of was a fish out of water. During the regular season, especially when Kyrie also played, kind of found it as Kyrie was getting hurt or like uh, did when he was out last year. You know, he kind of got to run the offense again, and that's what we're seeing again. Um, I just, I, I don't know. I love the way he plays. He, he just has so many weird contortionist moves. Um, there's a couple things you just don't see anywhere else, and that's why I like watching him play. Yeah, he made things uh, miserable for a lot of uh, Portland fans. As, uh, <laughs> he uh, he nearly sent the Blazers home. <laughs> what I loved about that game is like he honestly looked very upset after he missed that game winner. And you you would have thought that Karras was the one whose team was now you know needed to win to make the playoffs. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. Because like you know he kind of CJ tried to like approach him afterwards, and he was like you know he was being respectful, but you could see he to- wasn't totally about exchanging pleasantries. 
he got off the court, went into the tunnel as soon as possible. And I just like that he really took this bubble as an opportunity to say, say like, hey, I'm still that guy. I know there's obviously my role is going to be reduced in Brooklyn, but in case you all forgot, this is who I am. Absolutely. Um, the uh, the guy for Toronto that I that I'm interested in seeing is a guy that actually didn't get to play in their uh, in their playoff run last year to the championship, and that's OG Ananobi. Uh, you know, he's going to be a guy, especially um, you know, looking forward to the Eastern Conference semis and potentially a, a conference finals and NBA finals. He's going to be a guy I think that teams leave uh, that dare to shoot the basketball and. Uh, his uh, his ability to make those out uh, outside shots combined with his really impressive defensive versatility is going to make him somebody I'm I'm really excited to see. Yeah, I think he's going to be vital on defense in pretty much every series after this one. Um, we talked about I mean how many long scoring wings the Celtics have who better to guard those than OG Ananobi, and then when it comes to trying to slow down Giannis, I think they're going to put him in that uh, Kawhi where he's like trying to pick him up half court, uh, get in his face to make the life easier for their bigs at the rim. Absolutely. Um, the one other guy, you know, that's been kind of is kind of come out of nowhere, but you know, NBA junkies have heard his name for a while. But uh, Timothy Luawu Cabarro, I, I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. I tried my best. Uh, TLC, as he's better known. Um, uh, he he has looked good in these reseeding games, really shooting the basketball well, and he's always been a, a pretty good athlete. Exactly. Um, I think he was around like 36% from three on the year before the season was suspended, and he's kind of picking up where he left off, right? This is a guy who, you know, not, the, not like an amazing defender, but decent on ball, won't get you killed on ball. It seemed like as soon as he figured out the three-point shot, he'd be a solid rotation player, and that's kind of what's happened. All right, well, yeah, anything else about uh, that series before we make the prediction? No. All right, uh, I'll, I'll go first. Uh, the uh, I've got this also as a, a sweep. I've got two sweeps in the first round in the Eastern Conference, Toronto in four. All right, just because I cannot be, you know, objective or even close to it about Karis Levert I'm going to say there's one game he torches him and I'm going to go Raptors in five okay yeah the uh, uh, the Raptors defense is pretty good it'll be it'll take quite an effort uh, from from Levert to carry that but yeah that'll be uh, it'll be fun to see and uh, I think I can speak for both of us when I say I'm very excited for uh, for the NBA playoffs to return yeah don't ask me how that performance will happen from Levert <laughs> it just will. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Scott, this was this was a lot of fun as always. Thanks so much for for coming on and taking the time. Uh, yeah, I always look forward to this. Um, we don't really get a chance to talk basketball a lot of the time, you know. Um, so this is kind of also a good good refresher to see where you're at with a lot of these players and teams because I I don't necessarily know all the time coming in, which makes it more fun. Absolutely. Well, yeah, you uh, you stay safe out there and enjoy the basketball. Thanks, you too. Thanks so much for listening to Duncan Dynasty. Please, if you can, if you have a moment, go to iTunes and uh, give us a rating and review, preferably five stars. And uh, if you could give any thoughts about what you like about the show, that would be much appreciated. We are also on Spotify, so... Uh, you can give us a rating on there as well. If you'd like to find some other content outside of this podcast, you can find me on Twitter, at Garrett Bougay. That's G-A-R-R-E-T-T-B-U-G-A-Y. I will be uh, tweeting various uh, NBA thoughts as well as some, some thoughts on some other uh, interests of mine, including soccer and film and television, so... Uh, if you're looking for some of my takes throughout the, the course of the week, you can find me there. You can find my co-host Corbin Ford on Twitter at CorbinNBA. That's C-O-R-B-A-N-N-B-A. So uh, he, uh, he does, a, d- does a good job on Twitter as well. He's very active. Uh, Corbin also is the site expert 
for the fan-sided website Valley of the Sun, which talks all things Phoenix Suns. So you can check out uh, what he's doing there. I'm also doing uh, some work as a contributor for Rip City Project, which uh, does all things Blazers. So if you're looking for some written content, you can check those websites out. Corbin also does his own pod on the side called NBA Today. Uh, he, uh, he does some, some fun work over there, so, so please, I encourage you to check that out. But uh, thanks so much again for, for listening, and have a great rest of your day.